0: Welcome to the Breakout
1: Growth
2: Podcast, where Sean Ellis interviews leaders from the world's fastest growing companies to get to the heart of what's really driving their growth. And now, here's your host, Sean Ellis.
1: Right. In this week's episode of the Breakout Growth Podcast, Ethan Garr and I chat with Jamie Eldon, Chief Global Revenue Officer at Shutterstock, a company we learned is much more than just a marketplace for stock photos. So Jamie started with Shutterstock at pretty much the worst time you could start at a company. <laughs> so February 2020, right at the beginning of COVID. But during the past year, Shutterstock stock has nearly tripled. So clearly things
2: have gone well. So Ethan, what jumped out at you about this interview? Uh, it was such a great conversation Sean. There was a lot to unpack, but I think there were some really good lessons about just the importance of mission.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting that, you know, when we've we've had a lot of conversations over the last year and some companies have really struggled with COVID and others actually did pretty well, but I think a common thread that we've seen is that companies that did well during the pandemic have a strong sense of mission. And so I think that's just that's something that's good good to keep in mind in general that in good times, in bad times, a strong sense of mission can can really help you navigate uh, wherever the opportunities might be to, to move your business
2: forward. For sure. I think in this case, it really led them to lean into the flexible solutions that they could provide to really help keep their customers' businesses moving forward during the pandemic. And I think that's been really important.
1: Yep. And it seems like their business is actually in a really good place beyond the pandemic. And so um, you know, we've, we've also heard that theme come up a lot that Digital transformation is something that's kind of been happening over the last few decades. But what we saw is that in the pandemic, a lot of digital transformation was accelerated. And, um, and you can definitely see that in the case of Shutterstock, that things that might have been nice to haves before the pandemic became must haves and, and really propelled their own business forward, but they helped a lot of other businesses uh, keep moving forward.
2: Yeah, nobody seems to think that the world is going to go backwards, back to where we were before this. I think those those new transformations are going to are going to stick. So, hey, but before we get started, I think you have a new cohort coming up with Go Practice. Is that right?
1: Yeah. That, thank you. Yeah, we have a new cohort starting July seventh. So this will be our third cohort, and uh, so this is really a perfect time for someone who wants to take their growth skills to the next level to to join this. So. I actually recommend rather than signing up directly for the cohort that you go and check out our free growth skills assessment test. So you can get that at gopractice.io slash SAT, and it's going to help you understand where you have gaps in your growth skills and how GoPractice or really whatever your approach to learning is can help fill those gaps. Uh, but Hopefully that will be a good place for you to, to see if, if Go Practice would be a good fit for you. But let's get started with this conversation because I think it's a really good one. Yeah, let's do it. Hi, Jamie. Welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. And I'm excited to be joined by uh, Ethan Garr as well.
2: Welcome, Ethan. Hey, nice to be here with both of you.
1: Yep. Um, now, this is going to be fun to dig into Shutterstock, um, which I'm sure most of the listeners are familiar with Shutterstock. You guys have been around for, for a long time and uh, anyone of our listeners probably has seen it out there. But um, for for those who may not kind of understand the the full company and what you guys are doing, can you give us maybe a, a bit of an overview on what Shutterstock
0: is and even really the vision for the business? Yeah, sure. So uh, Shutterstock is about 17 years old this year, and it started out basically as a marketplace for photographers to share and earn money from their photos and uh, from their hobby. It took off. It was founded by John Orringer, who was an avid photographer, and he wanted to create a marketplace where, you know, you could buy, people could buy, sell licensed images for commercial use set it up and the business took off and um, it quickly became probably number two in the marketplace behind Getty after about five or six years and then um, John floated the company. Um, It went public in 2013 and um, it's been a successful growing company um, ever since. It's evolved a long way from being just a place to come and buy a photo and license an image um, the company now um, still has uh, probably the largest stock um, image bank as well as footage, motion, music, special effects, VR, 3D, AI. We've moved into every form of creative product. And in addition to that, we've also now built on services. We now have a global newsroom, which is delivering um, news, whether it's politics, celebrity, entertainment, sports, all over the world to news desks of ESPN, BBC, ITV, and publishers all over the world. And then we also have a studio division called Shutterstock Studios, which is now producing everything from five second TikTok commercials for brands right through to uh, making TV spots for Amazon all over the world. Wow, so, <laughs> there's a yeah. there's a lot
1: more to it than I realized. I'm glad
0: that, yeah. I'm glad we asked that question. Yeah, yeah,
2: it's that so much more than I, uh, I I I think most people would would assume. Um, so it sounds like you've been there, I guess, about a year and a half. Can you tell us about the, the role you're in, the global chief revenue officer role? And you know, what attracted you to the opportunity in the first place?
0: Um, it's kind of interesting, actually, because I've been in the sort of uh, chief revenue officer role for about 12, 13 years of my career, two public companies, uh, last one being Media General, Nextar. And um, I hopped out of it to go into startup mode. Um, with two colleagues from Media General, and we started a company called Tonic, um, an AI video-driven software company that we launched and um, started that. And then uh, about um, a year and a half into that, um, Shutterstock um, approached me saying that they were looking for a global chief revenue officer who had vast knowledge of production capabilities, new agency business, corporate business, media and entertainment, and understood more than anything else, the creative process um, that's used by those three different channels. So I met with the team and the founder. I met with John. I met with uh, Stan, um, our CEO, and we had a good conversation about where the company was, where it wanted to go to. And at first, I was a little hesitant because they were describing the company as kind of a technology company, and I'm a creative and a producer by trade. And so that kind of scared me a little bit. I didn't want to enter into the SaaS or tech world because I, I don't have a background in that. And the more that we talked, it was more evident to me that, hey we're not really a technology company. We're a creative company. We provide creative solutions to brands, agencies, and the entertainment uh, industry globally. That I do know inside and out. And I know how to build sales. I know how to grow a company of this size and take it to the next level. And so we kind of set out a vision uh, before I accepted the job. And I was kind of like, look, I think I could take the business from here to here Um, not just from a revenue perspective, but also I think we should start to add other products and services that the market is looking for. And we're well positioned to do it. I laid out a plan. We all agreed on it. I started and um, it was um, an amazing transition because it didn't feel like going from a little company to a big company, which was very cool. It actually felt I'm going from one creative company to another creative company, but I have more creative to work with. And so therefore that was exciting. And um, I took the job and I've been there about a year and a half right now. And I can actually say I love every single day and every minute of it. And it's probably to date, the best position I've held in my career. That's awesome. Yeah,
1: I can see how how the technology side of things could could be intimidating, but it's really cool to realize that. Like, I, mean, I think almost every company is a technology company now to some degree, but it's just sort of like what is that technology enabling, and for you to be able to kind of parse out that it's it's enabling all of the. Areas that you're really familiar with—that's uh, that—that's that's powerful.
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. But
1: I, I have to imagine that you did not anticipate a worldwide pandemic as you when you joined a year and a half ago, and so that's that's going to be like the majority of your experience there will have been crossing over with like major changes in the world. Did that did throw a uh, a
0: wrench in the plans much, or did it did it impact the business at all? It was it was so interesting. I started work on, I think it was February the 23rd or something, and at the Empire State Building, where our offices are, we have two floors there. I started there, did one week of meet and greeting everybody, second week of orientation, third week, sent home, global pandemic. And I just delivered my plan and vision of how I was going to grow the company and take it to the next level over the next 12 months. And I was just like like most people at the time it's like okay this is really strange we're just going to go home and the message was oh it's just be a couple of weeks we're just everybody's just got to go home stay inside and we'll be back in the office in a couple of weeks so we'll just work from home two weeks then into four into six and here we are today and we're all most of us are still working from home um, it was it was interesting because it was do at that particular point do I alter my vision do I pivot do I backtrack from some of the promises that um, I laid out that I would deliver and some of the key metrics that I would deliver? Um, do I backpedal? Do I backtrack? What do we do? And I just decided I held a meeting on Zoom with about, uh, I think, about 350 people from the, from the division divisions. And I just said, well, this is, this is unusual. Um, we're going to make of it what we can, but the vision stays and we're going to go for it. And I can honestly say from that day, it was the first week of March, I think, the second week of March. We never looked back. We just kept moving forward and we maintained the vision and we delivered upon it um, at the end of the year. So um, it was remarkable, unexpected. I've never worked from home or remote in my life. Before, and so it was a lot of adapting in my personal life to to do what I had to do, but also then seeing into the windows of like employees all over the world, their lives, their children, mm-hmm. their pets, mm-hmm. their partners. It was a whole new experience, right. And,
1: um, and yeah. then New York City was a scary place in the beginning of the pandemic, in particular. And so you know, working from home, seeing all of that, you're I mean, dealing with all the personal challenges that come with that. Um, while at the same time transitioning into a new business, and uh, I know it, it, you just reminded me, I forgot that it was like, yeah, this is only going to be two weeks. And I remember the conversation with my kids of just like, you're either in the bubble or you're out of the bubble. You're I, if you want to go live with friends and cruise around, that's good. But we, <laughs> we're gonna we're we're gonna lock down, and you decide. And they 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 locked in with us. But um, but it's it's uh, I'm I'm curious. That's awesome that you were able to just kind of go forward with the plan as is. But I'm curious if there was any uh, any impact on demand, either positive or negative. We've seen both in a lot of the companies that we've spoken with. Was there was there any impact on demand?
0: It it, it was kind of, you know, I would say the first four weeks from when we were uh, started working uh, remotely, the first four weeks, it was silent. Mm -hmm. So it was agencies. Silent, yeah. you know, Everybody a lot just of our inter- meetings. It was yeah. just very quiet. And we were reaching out, the feedback was everybody's getting set up at home now. So infrastructures were getting put in place, CRM systems, content management systems were all being connected with our clients so that they could get set up and communicate with us and work with us. And we're all learning about Google Hangout and Zoom. You know, it it was like a big learning curve, I think, for everybody in our industry um, during that four-week period. And then it was the following four weeks, it just dramatically changed. All of a sudden, a lot of the things that we as a company try and sell to our agency partners or our court clients, you know, who are like, no, 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 we got that, we can do that, but we like this from you, we like this from you. All of a sudden, it was like, hey, you said you could do that. Can you still do that under these circumstances? Because we can't. Can you do production in Turkey next week? Can you help do post-production? Do you guys do editing for... Facebook, can you guys repurpose a TV commercial? Can you make us a TV uh-huh.
1: commercial? So some of the, all of a sudden, some of the stuff it, that was scaring you up front, the technology enabled end of things turned yeah. out to be really important.
0: So it was kind of like all of a sudden we became, we became relevant in areas of our business that were low prior to the pandemic, suddenly came to the top. And I think the first thing that we realized was production service was the key thing that people were coming to Shutterstock for. It's like, hey, we've created we've created these ads uh, for TV or these ads for radio, or, and they're just mute. We can't run it. Nobody's going to be getting on a plane and running away to the Bahamas for four weeks vacation right now. So we're not going to run that ad. We can't run this new car commercial because it's talking about getting away and everybody, nobody's wearing a mask. So we would come up very quickly with ways that we could leverage our creative stock and footage and also some of our creators around the world who, hey, it's like, no, we can do production right now. It's like, oh, you can actually do a shoot. You can cast. Great. Then, um, we'll see if we can put something together. And it just started from there. We started to become a global production company around the world. Delivering production services to agencies, clients, and brands, helping them create messaging to stay in the conversation with their clients, bearing in mind that they were not able to use their existing creative that they built to run during this period because it was falling, you know, it's kind of mute content. Yeah,
1: either either tone
0: deaf or just no no longer applicable. (laughs) Completely. So suddenly we are providing banks and banks and retail companies with, you know, um, staging photography of lining up six feet apart with a mask on and, you know, washing hands and all these types of imagery. So all of a sudden brands were becoming kind of... um, advisors in their local communities, You know they were using COVID messaging and um, COVID imagery to really be part of the community. And that's where we really dug in and became valuable in helping brands start to change the way that they were facing their customers.
2: Do you think it's going to be the new normal for you? Or do you think we're going to see now that we're coming out of the pandemic, things are going to slide back in different directions? Or what are you expecting now?
0: It's funny because as production started to open in kind of October of last year, um, November, in sort of our key markets, we noticed that um, we were thinking, "Mm, maybe everybody wants to get set up, we're going to go low again in those areas. Exactly the opposite has happened. I think what we were able to do during this period of time was actually show our agencies and clients that hey, we are a great partner. We can do relatively low-cost, high-quality content at scale globally for you. And it's actually of a certain quality that is in line with what an agency would be putting out there. So we've now actually um, staffed up in a huge way globally with our production services, our studio, and our creative talent to meet the demands from October last year, and it's not stopped. It's continued to grow all the way from January to now, and we have found a real nice position in the marketplace where we're now have extended services to agencies and to clients, and um, we've kind of found a sweet spot for Shutterstock.
2: That's great. I, I think we see we've seen with a lot of companies that the pandemic really accelerated what was already going to happen. It sounds like that's the experience for Shutterstock, where you had a lot of things that you were trying to build, they were happening at, a, at one pace and this accelerated them, but it makes sense that, that that will stick. And that will, I mean, I'm sure there will be some changes, but it seems like that makes a lot of sense. What do you see as the key drivers of Shutterstock's growth?
0: Um, I think when I look at it now, when I look back, when I, when I started at the company, I'd done some due diligence and spoken to a lot of people there. I spoken to a lot of clients of mine to what's their experience of Shutterstock. And then I spoke to a lot of the VPs and leaders of the company. And I quickly realized as I do in, in probably the last two or three companies I've run, culture is the most important thing. And I have learned that if you can define and create a culture that's based around a vision and meets the needs of the employees internally, then success will come either in revenue or in growth or in adoption. And I realized very quickly that Shutterstock was a very large company doing extremely well, highly profitable, doing everything that you know Wall Street wants a company to do, but it kind of was plateauing in its excitement level internally with its staff. It was like the same kind of the same, same, but growing. And to our clients, we were only known for one or two things. And so therefore I, I saw this like, like plateau happening of like, Hey, if we don't innovate, if we don't get excited about some stuff and start to really look and innovate, then we could start to either decline or become non-relevant. As technology starts to develop around creative down the line. So, I started to work on creating um, a messaging internally like, who are we? What's our vision? Why do we matter as a company to an agency? Why do we matter to Pepsi? You know, let's ask ourselves that question. And if we can't answer it, then we really need to start to think about who we are and where we're going and what we wanna be when we grow up. And so, I started looking at how we were presenting ourselves to um, our clients, and I quickly realized there was a disconnect. And it was, we were marrying technology and creative upside down. We were leading with technology and creative was the last thing we would talk about. And yet our buyers only want to buy creative from us. They don't care about what technology we have that's housing it or delivering it or storing it. They just want a cool image or a cool piece of footage or some music. And we were suppressing that down. And I think that the sell of what we were providing to our clients, therefore, was hard to understand. And it was hard for sellers to get really excited. So I quickly stripped down what was a 35-page capabilities deck to a five-page deck. And built a very sexy sizzle reel showing all of the cool stuff that Shutterstock does for its clients. And I dropped a cool Billy Ellie soundtrack on it and we ran it internally to be like, this is what we do, guys. This is why our clients love us. Look at this. Look, we, I mean, you know, we launched White Claw. we launched this, we're doing stuff for Porsche, we're doing stuff for all these cool companies. And here it is. This is what's exciting. And then, we, the pitch became more about our creative solution plus service, like production service. Let's go out with that. Let's get excited. And within four or five weeks, not only did we see uh, an activity um, increase, we also saw a revenue increase. All of a sudden, people were seeing assets that they didn't know we had services they didn't know we had. And we were suddenly becoming a little bit more sexy and culturally relevant to a younger media buyer, to a younger publishing um, house that Shutterstock really wasn't in the conversation with. So it kind of changed dramatically, very quickly. That's cool. Um, So
2: would you say it was more about unlocking the culture? It sounds like the culture was already there and it was about unlocking or is it you had to build a culture?
0: We, it, was, it needed unlocking. We have very talented work, workforce, extremely talented in many different ways, whether it's my editorial department, production, studio, agency teams, extremely talented, hugely successful, but it, everything had become rather transactional instead of creative. And so I wanted to build a culture of creativity. We should be talk like a creative to a creative, rather than a SaaS seller to a creative director at an agency. That's not working, okay? And the moment we flipped that switch and we started to train about, hey, let's look at what the creative roadmap looks like for one of our clients. and Let's see how we can mirror and match what they're trying to achieve in their day with how we can partner with them in these elements. And it just changed the way that we talked internally about our business very quickly. It changed the way we talked to our clients. And we started to sell different assets to clients that we never had done before. Some clients were only image buyers. Now those clients are buying image, 3D modeling, VR, they're buying production services. And that was because we, le- we started to lead with our end product rather than the technology that provides it. So the, f- the flip worked and it excited everybody internally, and from that, we now everybody feels that they're a producer or that they're a creative director in the company rather than a mid-market account director. And I think culturally, that really did work for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, as I, well. it's so interesting. Like as as you were talking through there, I just I think there's such a great lesson for so many other tech companies in that where, you know, I think everybody's trying to everyone's trying to appeal to investors and and oh we're so much more than this simple creative thing or that we're we're ai powered and we're you know and they and they just they 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 try to kind of lead with the tech to the point where i i actually think that's been one of the huge things that helped me be successful in tech over the last 20 or 30 years is that i i actually don't really like tech personally sort of the same way that you were a little maybe intimidated coming into it I'm not an early adopter. I'm I'm much more of a. If I don't find a real practical use for something quickly, I'm not interested in it. And so it helps me say, why would anyone care about X Y Z technology? Let me let me show what it's going to do for them. And and uh, and so I, I just I think so many um, tech marketers or just tech companies in general way overemphasize the tech versus. Why, why is this important to what your actual needs
0: are and how can we meet those needs? And I think they also overcomplicate. Yeah. I think when technology comes into play, it gets overcomplicated very quickly. And we, we expect our clients or whoever we're in a room pitching to understand what we're talking about and, and to really get excited by it. When it's not the case, (laughs) you know, they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm just going to sit here and smile because I've got 25 minutes left and then you're gone. And it's kind of that. So we brought in one of the key things around the culture of who we were with was three words, which um, Stan um, Pavlosky, uh, my CEO, said, we need to simplify, simplify, simplify. And I never forgot those three words when I came into the door and I use it still to this day. If we can't explain it simply to somebody who we are and what we do, then we've failed. And it should be easy to buy, easy to sell and easy to understand. And I think, you know, that works culturally as well because people then are getting up, not thinking, "Oh my God, I forgot my script. I don't know how to describe our technology again." Mm-hmm.
1: I, I often uh, say that complexity is the biggest barrier to adoption for anything, and and it's it's the same thing as you're saying: simplicity, simplicity, simplicity. Avoid complexity. <laughs> <laughs> so, kind of coming back to the story of of you know your time there. I mean, it sounds like pretty massive changes from adding new services to you know just because the market was more receptive to things you've had already in the in the offerings in the past doesn't mean that they know you have those offerings at that time when they need them Um, so that has to be a challenge so everything from sort of the operational readjustment challenges to the how do we make people aware that we can help them with these new emerging problems that are happening when you kind of look at all of the challenges while you've been there are, there, are there any that stand out as as bigger challenges than others that are worth mentioning?
0: <laughs> yeah. I think one of the key things was that the demand of what people were wanting from us, from either an agency or a, a, a Fortune 500 client during last, specifically last year, they were not getting yeses from their either their, their traditional big agency or their other partners. And they'd come to us and they'd be like... You know, we need this and we need it today. And it's like, oh, what do you need? Well, we need, we need a picture of six people queuing up in a bank, okay, at outside socially distance. and we need it tomorrow. We need, uh, can you shoot a FedEx guy in a van delivering with a mask on? Can you shoot an Amazon delivery person with a mask on? All of a sudden, and it was because there was a shortage of content and brands were demanding it. And so turnaround became the big issue. Normally, our production times would be, you know, a nice three to five weeks on producing something. All of a sudden, that went to three to five days max turnaround. So that was the biggest adjustment that we had to do. So internally, that meant realigning more people into our production department and hiring people in production to meet the demand. But I think that that was the biggest challenge that we saw was um, how can we take our delivery time from three to five weeks to three to five days and scale it. And what we were able to do was to leverage our contributors that are part of Shutterstock. So we have about 2 million contributors around the world, photographers, cinematographers, producers, directors, animators. And we would lean into those guys, say, hey, we have this brief, what do you think? Can you participate? Suddenly that cut down times to days from weeks. And we were able to, before um, I think anybody else, start to look at localization um, of content, more diverse content was coming in. So um, suddenly we realized that, hey, We've overcome this now by leveraging local people in local markets around the world to be creators with us and help. And our clients were loving it. No longer did we have to put five people on a plane from New York to shoot something in Turkey. We would leverage a cinematographer, a photographer, and a director in Turkey that was part of Shutterstock's contributor network. And you know, all of a sudden, that shut down delay times from shooting from three to five weeks to three to five days. And it just became infectious. From there, it just built and it built and it built. And I guess the byproduct of it was we also were getting a lot of kudos from brands saying, you're really helping our carbon footprint here and you just don't know it. And it was like, you know, we're suddenly making something for them in a country that they would be flying people out and and that kind of stuff. But now we're using local talent, diverse, culturally relevant. And that's been, I think, the savior to how we met that, you know, demand delivery issue.
1: It's amazing just the efficiencies that have, have taken place when people are navigating around the... Uh, less travel and you know work from home and all of those pieces, but that's a that's a great like like global global ways of being able to take advantage of the uh, of the digital transformation. That's yeah
0: amazing. And I think I think the only other challenge that we had, we saw our entire live events department shut down. You know, um, and, you know, so no more red carpets, no more premieres where we have all of our photographers, the Met Gala, all of these amazing things, Fashion Week that Shutterstock's been a part of and it's a major part of our business. That shut down and it's like, what happens? How do you cover Fashion Week now? (laughs) You know, how do you cover these events? There's no premieres anymore. There's no movies at movie theaters. So a big chunk of our business was kind of like, put on hold. Um, but what we were able to do with that live events business was morph it into our production business and it helped, you know, support that side of the business.
1: And it's not like you're steering a small ship there. I mean, at least according to LinkedIn, it looks like 4,500 employees. I'm not sure how accurate that is, but that's, that's a lot of people to, to have to kind of shift in new directions. Um, did you, did you have kind of any, any way that, um, you know, like a lot of people, kind of use like OKRs and other sorts of things to sort of manage goals and transitions. And it sounds like you went so quickly through these. Did you have you know? And and as a chief revenue officer, being very metrics oriented is usually pretty pretty important. You've talked about being uh, you know kind of creative first in a lot of the ways you approach things. How how do metrics play into this? And and how did you how did you gauge success? And when someone maybe in one of these other businesses had a, had a set of success metrics that they were no longer able to deliver on, how, how, could, you, how could you shift them maybe in these new directions?
0: It was interesting because I, I took the stance when I came into the company that in order to, grow, in order to continue to grow but really show ma- major growth in the enterprise side of the business, it's, we have to throw away the spreadsheets and we have to actually – start to create new KPIs and new goals, because it was a different world we were operating in at the time. And we needed to be able to pivot without process. That was the first thing I said to everybody. You know, we're a large public company, lots of processes. We've got to be able to pivot, forget the processes, we'll build them after. And that's what we did. So when we were shut down in the emerging markets in Europe, we would support resources in markets where we had more traction and were more open. Like, you know, London was still a strong market. North America was still a strong market. Asia Pacific was way down, um, as was Latin America. And so what we did, we nimbly moved resources and teams and people to support where we were growing and where there was activity and where there wasn't and where we were decline in, it's let's look at what we can do in terms of supporting those markets. So for example, in Latin America, we started to offer free creative, free service to small businesses in those markets and in the emerging markets of Europe to say, hey, take these images, you can use them for free, take them, it will just keep you alive in terms of messaging in the conversation. And we started to do that. And as the more we started to do that and those markets opened, we started to attract more customers. And they started to adapt to our way of building messaging. So even though we were down in areas, we supported them with our own resources and stepped in to help. And where we were actually ticking up was unbelievable. North America was growing. And so was London. So we were busier than ever in those marketplaces. And so it kind of balanced out. But you know, it, it, in terms of like metrics and KPIs and things like that, I quickly realized that during this time of last year, you can't hold yourself to anything specifically because you don't know what tomorrow's gonna be, okay? We would be wake up one day and 30 markets were locked down. The next week, it would be 50. Next week, it'd be 12. So it was, a, it was a constant moving ball. And so therefore to hold yourself against anything or any type of specific metric would be invaluable. It wouldn't, sorry, it wouldn't be valuable. So what we did was, it's like, okay, let's see if we can, you know, in LATAM, really start to see what our agencies are looking for in the Latin American market. So let's have some conversations. So it was literally, you know, it was just about conversation, keeping in contact with the clients, and making sure that we were providing a service to them, which we knew they were looking for. So it was mirroring and matching their needs at their time with what we could provide. So we just went with that. We just kept part of the conversation. We made sure that we had Zoom calls. We would do lunch and learns. We would send food to people's homes. (laughs) You know, it was kind of, let's be part of this with you. And, um, you know, if we do that, once this is, we come out of it, that should then, you know, become good business for us as we move forward.
2: Do you, have, do you have any sort of metric as a company that you use to try to align everyone? We, we often refer yes. to it as like a North Star metric.
0: Yeah. So obviously, subscribers is one of our biggest, is our key metric um, for growth and measurement, uh, specifically with Wall Street. So whether you know an agency or a Fortune 500 client, you know whether we sell you images, footage, music, production services, that can all be packaged up into a subscription model of X value. And we we um, look at our KPIs in growth of subscribers. Okay, and retention and attrition, and so we measure ourselves um, on that basis, but also we measure ourselves on on new business or net new logo as well. We do that, you know we have um, quotas where we are always trying to open up new relationships with new clients all over the world. We also um, hold ourselves to growth percentages, which obviously is a public company. Everybody wants to see year over year growth and quarter over quarter growth. So we benchmark ourselves accordingly with, you know, traditional businesses in our marketplace. And so we held ourselves to those as well. But I think as we came through last year into this year, we kind of I kind of decided that, you know what? We have an opportunity now in our space to be number one quickly. Let's go for it. Let's increase the velocity. Let's increase what we do well. Let's reduce what we don't do well. And let's keep this culture going. And I I have to say it, and um, it's the bane of my CFO, but I keep saying uh, culture, growth, Let's make sure what we're doing is simple. It's easy to buy, easy to sell. Let's innovate where there are gaps in the landscape and let's find our place in there and let's push it. And the revenue will come and new benchmarks can be written. Because if I write the benchmarks or I write the KBIs ahead of time, we'll either hit them or just come under them or maybe just go over them a little. But to me, I found that that was withholding what our potential was. Let's take some risks. Let's launch some things. Let's think differently. And I have, again, I have to su- tremendous support from Stan, my CEO, who's like, he's basically like, go, go do it. You know what this industry is about. And I think removing heavy KPIs and heavy micromanagement across this global sales force during 2020, as we entered 2021, worked. It took the pressure off and it allowed them to continue to do their job, but in a more creative way without being held to kind of a spreadsheet or held to certain percentages. It was like, you know, no, we're one team. Let's go for this. And I I, I swear, I think if we'd have done it the opposite way, I'd have seen a lot of staff leave. We wouldn't have hit the numbers because it, it was all about culture building and a belief in winning. One of the things I kept saying was, you know, look, we've won another one. We've won another one. Look at this. We're really doing well. And we created a winning culture in a time where that was, you know, not really a a winning during a pandemic. But again, at the same time, we actually built a culture where people were turning up for work each day, actually getting up, getting on screen and enjoying it. And um, we actually... Had an amazing, amazing turn of, just what a day in the life of an employee Shutterstock was it was dramatic, amazing. Um, we had a lot of fun.
2: If I had missed the first ten minutes of this conversation and and you know didn't know that we were talking about Shutterstock, I would have thought we were talking about a startup the way you describe it. And you know, you mentioned that this is the most fun you've ever had in, in your in your career. And it, like, I think the the your ability to keep things light and fast and agile and moving I think you know especially during this pandemic it's it's definitely inspiring I hope our our audience uh you know appreciates how how valuable that is and you know the the culture being such an important part of growth uh, but I am interested as a large organization how what do you see as the most effective way to organize for for sustainable growth Are you know do you have a separate product marketing and growth team or do you combine some of these how do you how do you approach that
0: we we have we have a product team, we have a tech team, so we have a product team who services um, both sides of our business. We have the e-commerce business, which is self-serve. So people go to shutterstock.com and mom, you know, at small business, mom and pop, prosumer, who'll go there, click, sign up, download an image, okay, go away and do what they're gonna do with it. Okay. Then on the other side of the business, we have our enterprise business, which services agencies, Fortune 500s, entertainment, gaming, sports franchises. We we have that side of the business. Now, the cha- some of the challenges that um, we have in our business is defining what product to build and what the expectations will be in the marketplace for the product that we build. So One of the things that I did when I came into the company was we had a product team that was like, okay, we're going to build this product, and then you guys go out and sell it. And I was kind of like, well, hang on a minute. Do they want to buy it? (laughs) You know, have have we actually spoken to Ogilvy or BBDO, or have we spoken to Netflix? And, you know, and it was kind of we had that conversation very early on. Because again, it's not that... Product and technology scared me it was kind of like I've seen so many companies fail in that space by building something and believing that everybody wants it and they want it how you've made it and I'm a believer in like no you just need to do so you need to do your due diligence you need to ask one of your great you know your best clients tell me if I was to create something like this that did this would you be would you buy it would you know would you want to use it so we stopped and we did that and instead of having the product team go out and do it. I had my head of agency, head of corporate, and some of the sales folks go out and bring Intel back. We dumped it all in a big spreadsheet. We found out what's working, what isn't working, what they're looking for in the marketplace. We brought that back. And then we kind of started to build a product roadmap out of that. And we quickly saw there was two products that the market needed and we were not delivering correctly. So we pivoted quickly. In four weeks, we built a commercial assurance product called Asset Assurance, which gives people, broadcasters and newsrooms, extra peace of mind when they take one of our pieces of footage, say from the election, they can put it on TV and it's fully cleared. It's like cleared in every single aspect of it. So we created this product, which was first of its kind, and we pushed it out. And that was literally getting feedback from agencies saying that, hey, we're having real copyright issues and clearance issues with a lot of political and pandemic stuff. Um, Can you build a clearance around it? And we did. We built a department, we built a product, and we went out to market in four weeks with it. And it's, it's hugely successful ever since. And it was from there, we started looking at our small business sector and our subscription products that we had out there were working. But had not been evolved in a couple of years, so we did a test. You know what are you looking for? You buy this from ours, but and we found out they 're going over here to buy that from another company and over here to buy this from another company so it 's like, okay, well, if we put it all together in one flexible subscription, would you buy it? Yes, so we built it and we rolled it out and so the marriage of product and tech with sales in our company has now come together in that way. And it's enabling us to go to market 10 times quicker because we're building something that we know how it should be, how it should face. And um, because of that, we're actually not going through rounds and rounds and rounds of modifications and roadmap checks and check ins. We've defined the product very quickly. And then we build it, we test it, and then it goes out into market. So right now, we're four to six weeks, we're launching products and services. And literally that's by listening to your customer, which we all talk about, we all read about on LinkedIn. But that to actually do it, it's really beneficial, let me tell you.
1: Yeah. Okay. And I mean it's interesting because I the approach that you talk about is is an approach that seems to break when companies are not very big. Like when they when they maybe cross a hundred employees, the ability to innovate seems to go out the window for a lot of companies. And so Prior to this, you said you were you were on uh, working on Tonic. I think you mentioned, and it was um, a, a team, kind of small team. Uh, and I, I, it's shocking that that you and the team there have been able to just build this this really agile um, feedback engine where you can make these adjustments. Like I, 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 and I totally agree with you that that comes down to culture, but. The other thing that's even harder to change in terms of approach is culture. Like culture is a uh, culture is something that you almost say once you get over a thousand employees, the, the culture of the company is just just fixed. And so I know you and Ethan were talking about maybe unlocking the culture that was already there. But um, I I'm just really impressed that the the kind of ability to act like a tiny startup and and really embrace the opportunities that emerged through the pandemic and and probably a lot of those opportunities. Would have been there if you had taken this type of approach before, but nothing like a global pandemic to shake things up and cause people to rethink things a bit. But I'm, I'm curious, like sort of what else have you did you take from that really sort of small business startup uh, environment into a larger business? And are there some things that larger businesses do that, that smaller businesses should be trying to replicate as well?
0: I think if anything from from like the small business of tonic um what I brought in was again being agile being able to pivot quickly because in the creative space if you can't be agile agnostic and pivot quickly then you fail you just don't work and today you also need to know why do you matter okay when you're when you've got a company that you built and there's 15 people in it And you walk into Paramount or you walk into Warners, you've got to walk in and basically, you know, this is why we matter to you. This is what we do. And it's really that personalization that I think I took from Tonic into Shutterstock. And it was a value proposition that I really valued. And it's like, look, when you're a small company, you really have to show why does this matter to you, Paramount. Let, let us show you why this is a benefit to you and what it can do for you. Rather than, hey, this is what we built, this is what it's about, do you want to buy it? Okay. It's more that personalized approach. It's like, we're come, we want to be a partner with you, Paramount. And this is, you know, why we believe we can be a great partner to you. These are the areas which we are experts in. And here's some examples, here's some case studies. That personalization I took to Shutterstock. And one of the things that the first exercise I did was account strategy, account segmentation. Okay. If you're, if you're a seller and you've got 300 accounts, how are you going to be able to manage that effectively and deliver that personalized approach to each of those clients? You're not. Okay. You're going to dilute it and you're going to do the mass email and you're going to send out all the, you know, the typical things and keep sending it out. Hey, you know, you didn't respond to my previous email. Here's another one. And here's another one. And here's another one. And, you know, you suddenly find when you're in that big company, that becomes the process. You know, it's, it's scale. And my philosophy was no. And so I trained each team globally for the first six months of coming in. So I stopped the corporate training that was happening and I just went in and it's just like, okay, I'm a buyer, I'm a seller. This is how I would walk into Paramount. This is what I would say, how I would say it and why we would matter. This is what I would say to IBM. If we went into a room, why we're valuable, why we make a great partner and we do it. Did this for six months, every single day with teams all over the world. And we narrowed it down to, I think we got the accounts down to more of a manageable level to 40. And we kind of put a bunch of accounts over to one side and we thought these 40 accounts should definitely be working with Shutterstock. And this is why. And each one of these has a different story we have to approach them with because this company is not like this company. And the creative that these guys are going to want is very different than this company. So personalization and it worked. It literally worked. We could do... A rep instead of having to do you know a hundred calls in a month a hundred things in a month activities in a month um, to sell X would do 20 and would actually make five times more revenue so we changed the model and we the average attainment went up per sales rep and the average order value increased significantly and less is more model became effective.
2: With that training, I mean, was it about breaking down silos or, I mean, how, how do you get that cross-functional collaboration to work across the whole organization?
0: It, it was literally by carrying a vision that we are a creative solutions company, okay? Delivering creative solutions to agencies, brands, and clients. Flipping it from we're a global technology company delivering technology solutions. And when you get on a phone with a creative director, they're like, what? What is that? I I don't know, I have a tech guy, let me connect you with them. Or here's somebody in compliance you can talk to. Okay, suddenly that's the pass off, Whereas it's just like, hi, my name's Jamie, I'm on the creative team at Shutterstock, and um, I'd really like to show you some of the wonderful creators we've been doing um, around um, alcoholic beverages. I know you look after ABC brand in in alcohol, we want to show you what we've done with White Claw, what we've done with Corona. You know, have a look at that, you know, have a look at it. Suddenly, that changed. And that training of bringing everybody together to buy into that really helped, really helped drive, I think, the culture as well. It really drove the culture because all of a sudden the cell became much more creative, much easy and everybody bought into it. It was like product bought into it. You know, our tech, our infrastructure bought into it, our marketing department bought into it. Everything became interesting and you know, The unique aspects that, you know, again, it's not, oh, wow, that's all great and it changed everything. It wouldn't have been possible, me coming in and doing what I did, if we were not sat on all of this amazing creative, that we didn't have these 2 million plus contributors from all over the world providing this amazing content, and a production team that, you know, was capable of doing everything from a Super Bowl commercial to a five second TikTok ad. I had all that here. In place. What I needed to do was make it think and work differently. And still today, you know, nobody can match us out there from a competitive landscape in what Shutterstock has in terms of its resources for a client. It's just how you position and how you package it, package it to that personalized approach works. So again, personalization really helped us, you know, start to win big, think big, and change perception in the marketplace. You
1: know? Yeah. I, I can see on the enterprise side in particular, how, you know, each enterprise is, ha, has the potential for a lot of business. So you really want to, you really want to understand what their needs are and 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 map your solutions to their needs. Uh, but on the self-service side, which you, you mentioned is a, is a big part of the business as well. Are you able to, are you able to personalize and, and segment on that same level and give a lot of different experiences? I mean, it kind of, backing up a little bit on both of those, assuming you're taking a kind of cold non-customer and bringing them down a path of becoming a passionate advocate of at least some solution within the the Shutterstock suite. It sounds like with all that personalization that there's so many potential paths that they could go on. How, how, do, how do you keep track of all of it? How do you manage all of it? And um, Or is it is it literally one client at a time?
0: I think, it, you know, again, we're fortunate that on the enterprise side of the business, you know, we figured that out really well last year and pivoted to personalization, you know, selling product and service that was meaningful to an agency versus a client versus an entertainment company. On our self-serve side of the business, what we were realizing was that if somebody goes in and downloads an image of a dog running around in a garden, Okay. The next time they come, when they go log in, let's show them three more dogs. Okay. But maybe let's show them a cat as well. And let's start to personalize their experience when they come in. So we started to do that and that started to work. Then it was just like, Hey, have you thought of putting music around this? Here's a little sample of music. for free. Try it out. Okay. Suddenly we were starting to look at our self-serve transactional customers as a human being and so it's kind of like how can we talk to them because they don't want to talk to anybody they just want to come and get what they want and go away but if when they come if we recognize them in a personalized way like hey you downloaded two dog pictures last week here's two more do you like cats you know, (laughs) here's some cats. And hey, here's some cute music that you can put around that. Or it'd be like, hey, you've taken these six images. What's next? And pop up. Are you looking to turn this into a social ad? We can help. Okay. Suddenly we were able to create a voice there and an experience that was personalized and start to, when they come, we'd recognize them behaviorally. And that, um, has been very helpful because we get feedback then. It's like, no, and I don't want this. I don't want that. So the next time we won't show that. But um, it, so again, there are certain customers who don't want any interaction. They just want to come and get it. And then there are customers who come want to get it, but if we can provide them with some education or some recommendations, then that is a personalized service that they were not getting two years ago. Mm-hmm. So, you is, know.
1: is there any overlap in the in the like acquisition engine of those two types of customers? Like, does does Shutterstock's brand on the kind of high velocity, uh, no touch side of the business help? On the on the on the enterprise outreach side, or do, do do sometimes those enterprises even come through that channel, and then there's upsell, or is it really independent? No,
0: it's really they're really kind of independent from each other. The type of customer is very different. So in enterprise, you know, our clients are Ogilvy, BBDO, WPP, Omnicom, you know, Fortune five hundred, FTSE one hundred, and SMB. But when our SMB clients are. Kind of, you know, businesses, five, $10 million revenue. On e um we are, I would say, our average customer, you know, on there is kind of more the mom and pop. And so what their needs and wants are, are different than on the enterprise side. Okay. Um, but we actually, what we build in enterprise, we make a version of it for e-commerce. And what we do in e-commerce, we look to see, can we productize that into an enterprise model? So we can take what's successful in e-com and build an enterprise version and what's successful in enterprise, how do we build an e-commerce version of that that could work? So cross-channel um, innovation is something we do all of the time. So we don't build just for one platform. We always look to see if this can be cross-functional across self-serve and enterprise. So with that focus that you have on personalization for both sides, I realize that
2: that's different, but is activation really like right in focus for you in terms of like, what are the aha moments? What are these these moments where people are delighted by the by the services? And like, do you really put a lot of emphasis on that?
0: We do. And I think, you know, one of the things when, you know, you look at the three players in the market space, um, one of the questions I asked prior to joining Shutterstock was, you know, I asked, uh, one of my biggest clients, I was like, hey, so Getty, Adobe, Shutterstock, all right, who do you like? <laughs> who do you like what do you like about them what don't you like about them and i i it was nine clients in all and what came back and honestly this was it the truth was that um, we're a little bit more on the premium cost side okay than the other two um so we were not necessarily as competitive on price per asset and stuff but where we won 90 percent was service was actually the human touch it was it was already there so customers valued that aspect of our business far more than they were getting from i guess from the other two companies at the time so it was like let's double down on that as more people are moving away from that let us put more steam Behind that service element and communication with our customers, so we we have client success managers, we have account managers, we have customer service around whether you're a three hundred dollar a year client or a million dollar a year client. You have a connection with Shutterstock, and that's unique for us. That's unique in our space. I imagine that that
2: that separation based on service and really the personalization, treating the client as a human being. I imagine that really has drives the loops in terms of. Keeping people retained, engaging them on an ongoing basis, and getting them to, uh, getting them to refer their, you know, refer others. And I, I imagine it's a space where where ref, referrals are pretty important. But
0: uh, yeah, it is. Yes. It is. It is because look, you you can't you can't look and think, okay, we want to compete with Adobe. Adobe is a predominantly a full cell service cloud based. It's it's very much tech, tech driven, but has stock. You know. And they have that. Getty is known on the other side, it's very much live events, as you've seen, news, sports and things like that. And it was kind of, where does Shutterstock fit in? We're somewhere in the middle. We're somewhere in the middle of that. But let's make sure that we have a relationship with our clients, whoever they are, whatever size they are, because that's something that the other two are not as forward thinking on, and we are. And I wanted to make sure, and specifically during the pandemic, that won us hands down, was that, you know, human touch. I have about a thousand follow-up questions I want to ask, but
2: um, knowing that we're running short on time, I have one question that we always like to, to end on is, what do you feel like you understand about growth now that perhaps you didn't understand a couple of years
0: ago? Okay, it's a great question. And the answer for me, what... A couple of years ago, I always thought growth was about how much money can you throw at it to to make it work, okay? So in a big public company, it's like, you know, do I have a $50 million marketing budget? Do I have a talent acquisition budget of X? Do I have this? Do I have that? It's all about looking at things from, from an economic growth standpoint. If I've learned anything in the last sort of, and certainly my tenure here, it's definitely you can do less with more, talent is key, the right talent and the right candidate, but giving them the tools to succeed without limitations. I think today allowing somebody to be creative and think is far more advantageous to you than giving them a script and a set of goals and saying go. Um, I do believe that Less is more. Higher performance is more. Performance-driven culture is far more a growth tactic for me now than it was a two years ago. I've learned to do more with less, and that's actually been a major culture changer at Shutterstock. Is you know putting more responsibility on people, giving them more freedom to grow, as actually as I said to my CFO, the revenue will come, and it did. And, you know, I'm. that's something that I've learned, is investing in people, investing in training, but giving them the freedom to actually develop and be more of an entrepreneur, because if you give them that, the conversation they'll have with a client will be less tactical and less transactional, and it'll be more human because, you know, they feel free. And um, we're in the creative space. We are not, you know, selling pharmaceutical (laughs) equipment here. So we're selling images and pictures and animation. So, yeah.
1: you know, I I so I personally like to end every conversation with my key takeaways and words of wisdom, but I can't beat what you just said, so I'm just going <laughs> to leave it at that because every everything I had written down um are are essentially you said it much better than I could repeat it. So, um that was awesome. I really appreciate you sharing the story. Um Shutterstock is a uh is a much more interesting company than I realized. Um, And I am confident that you guys are going to continue to perform really well and, and, um, and, and just make a bigger and bigger impact on, on everyone. So congrats on, in a relatively short period of time, you personally, I I think have, have uh, probably helped quite a bit on, on shaping that culture and, and um, bringing the, the company to a point where it could really, uh leverage and and help a lot of the new emerging needs that came out of the um pandemic. But um that, that started with having a really clear vision of what you wanted to do and and an understanding of the assets in the business. And those assets have been built over a lot of years, but being able to to really focus them on where those opportunities were and you can't do that very well if you don't have a culture that allows everyone to seek those opportunities and adjust to them. And so super impressive that uh, everything that you've said sounds like uh, something I would praise a hundred person company that, wow, at a hundred people, you're still that flexible, but- at over 4,000 people, it's, uh, it's, it's super impressive. So, yeah. But, you, you know, yeah. they,
0: they rose for the equation. Again, couldn't have done it without the team, and it's a team effort. We have a saying, one team at Shutterstock, and it's one team that's delivered it. And, you know, if you get the culture right and you can become one team, you can achieve anything. And I do believe that. That's something I have learned in my time here at Shutterstock, um, surrounded by great people. That's allowed me to do that.
1: That's great, and it sounds like just even that that direct partnership with the CEO as well. It's um, you know those types of changes are actually pretty hard to to kind of give give more freedom and 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 flexibility and trust to the team. It's got to come from the very top.
0: Absolutely, for him to give me that freedom and trust has allowed me to promote freedom and trust down the line. And I think, you know, I've I've had the CEO who does not allow freedom and trust. It's do do as I say. And it's kind of that. And that brings limitations all the way down. It's a waterfall. And it's actually a culture killer because at the end of the day, you're running scared every single day. And that Uh, is not a dynamic company either. (laughs) It's not dynamic. And I've been there. And, you know, I'm very blessed that I have this amazing um, CEO in Stan, who's just literally he's a visionary, but he's also allows people to think and make decisions and make mistakes. You know, it's one thing he said, we'll all make mistakes, but, you know, they're as good as the wins. You learn from them. And if when you've got somebody like that, you wake up without fear and you'll go for it. So, yeah. Uh, It just, no, I was just going to add to
2: that just to say, you know, throughout this, the conversation, I just felt like you just ooze enthusiasm and passion. And when you said, you know, it's about making the team think and act differently. I think it starts with, with that. When you can, when you walk into a room and you, and people believe that you are as inspired to, to about the next chapter as you want them to be, I think that that sets the the, the tone and it's just really awesome. So I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Yeah. Likewise. It's great. <laughs> so, okay. so thank you,
1: Jamie, and for everyone tuning in. Thanks for tuning in.
2: Okay. Thank you, guys. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Breakout Growth Podcast. Please take a moment to leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, subscribe so you never miss a show. Until next week.